Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property, it's the location and neighborhood. Homes.com offers in-depth neighborhood guides with detailed video overviews, comprehensive narratives, and unbiased information from a multitude of sources. You thought we go in-depth with player analysis on Fantasy Baseball today? You haven't seen anything yet. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood complete with a video guide. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. When looking at local schools, they offer test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. High drive, center field, hit the wall, grand slam. This is magnificent. Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now, here's Frank, Scott, Chris, and Adam. What's going on, everybody? And welcome into Fantasy Baseball today on Wednesday, May 26th. Frank Stanfield joined by Scott White. And we've got a busy one for you. Rich Hill, the guy is just phenomenal. We'll get it right here at the top. Warriometer, two months in. This is usually the time where Scott says, all right, we, we've got some data. Now it's time to make some decisions. So we will have some decisions for you later on in the podcast. Tuesday recap, fantasy justice for all. But first, Scott, what is up with baseball players always suffering the weirdest injuries? <laughs> I get it. They're human. They're like anybody else. But I feel like more than any other sport, you just hear the wildest stuff all the time. I think Jabba Chamberlain broke his uh, foot on a trampoline once. Last year, Zach Wheeler sliced his finger open. He like lacerated his mm-hmm. finger because he got it caught in his pants zipper. Like, what is going on? Zach, please, John Zach. Smoltz. John Smoltz uh, burnt his stomach ironing <laughs> a shirt that he was wearing. Uh, I remember somebody, too, like sneezed too hard. Oh, my gosh. Uh, I think it was like Sammy Sosa. I can't remember exactly. who. I mean, it may not have been Sammy Sosa, but it was somebody. Uh, all right. So in case you didn't hear, Zach Plesak fractured his thumb, his pitching thumb on his right hand, mm-hmm. aggressively putting his shirt on, and he hit it on a chair that was next to his locker, apparently. So it was it's just the way that it no, was taking, phrased. It was taking his shirt off. Taking Frank. his shirt he off. He wasn't put, putting his aggressively taking his shirt off. It's just as opposed to, <laughs> I, I don't know, passively taking his shirt off. The 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 way you would know. think anybody would normally take their shirt off. I I don't know. There was I saw a, a line from uh, I think it was the Twins broadcast. I don't think I've aggressively undressed in years, <laughs> and I think that's I think that's probably the right. The right angle for a joke for this. But anyway. Um, now, now I want to research the Twins broadcast team. For what it's worth, I think it, it was after a game, right? It wasn't after or before something else. But anyway. Um, yeah. No, that's... I don't know. I, I don't know what to do other than laugh at it. I mean, I'm kind of relieved that I don't have to keep... 
putting Zach Plesak in my lineup because he wasn't. It's unclear whether he was more helpful than hurtful. Yeah, it has been an inconsistent year, no doubt about it, for Zach Plesak, pitching a lot to contact. Uh, I haven't really seen a timetable for something like this, so I guess we'll go with the old, what is it, Scott, four to six weeks? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> every every injury is four to six weeks if you don't every, have a timetable. Or, I don't know, some, is it six to eight weeks? It's, I think it's four to six weeks, yeah. Okay. Four to six weeks. And not a uh, uh, you know, non-displaced fracture, not something that's going to require surgery. Four to six weeks. Jesus that. Lazaro, another one. He broke his hand, slamming it down on a table, losing in a video game. Like, Oh, oh yeah. How gosh. do we forget about that one? That's... Yeah, that's a not I like see that was I bump what did he, what was the the wording that was used initially he he he, he bumped he, it I think he, he bumped said. it hard like you know uh, yeah, yeah. you know the kid breaks a window and he's like I barely touched it <laughs> <That's right. laughs> oh man it's just it, it's ridiculous but there you go top of the podcast Zach Plesak just another interesting baseball injury uh and a long list of them in the history of our great sport oh my good gracious all right some tuesday standout scott i know where you want to start hit me hit me baby one more time britney spears richard richel yeah we gotta talk about rock and rich again who had arguably the best start of his career today he set a career high for strikeouts with 13 he set a career high for swinging strikes with 27 and the thing is, I mean, as good as he's been about getting strikeouts over the years, he hasn't been a big swinging strike guy. That's not how he's gotten him. So, I don't know. I was watching. I didn't, I didn't actually see the game, but I was watching a, a clip of all 13 of his strikeouts. He looked like he was having so much fun. <laughs> so much fun at age 41. And it's been a nice, a, a really nice stretch here for Rich Hill. Five of his past six starts, six innings or more. He allowed two earned runs in these eight innings against the Royals. So his ERA during that six-start stretch actually went up because of those two earned runs allowed. In those six starts, he now has a 126 ERA, a .79 whip, and 11.1 Ks per nine. And again, five of the six starts were six innings plus. So uh, Rich Hill isn't just must-roster at this point. I think he's, he's verging on must-start. And I know there are probably some pretty deep pitching staffs in there, out there, particularly in shallower leagues. I mean, I look at who's in the, the 60 range in my rankings. Uh, I mean, Rich Hill's barely, I, I barely got him inside my top 60 after this performance. So I understand. I'm, I'm not ready to go as far as to say he's must start in all formats, no matter what, but he's getting pretty close and he's still available in 25% of CBS sports leagues. I'm sure he's probably available in like 60% of Yahoo leagues. So uh, Rich Hill. He's, he's still a thing. He's still we shouldn't have we shouldn't have quit on him, Frank. We shouldn't have quit on him after 2020. He let us down. Well, as one listener pointed out, just hop on a player one year after Scott's really excited about that player, right? So you were all in on Rich Hill last year, and this is yeah. the year. It just it, the way these things work out for Tampa too. It's like they trade away Blake Snell. Look what Blake Tampa Snell too. is doing. Uh, Tam- Tony Dungy defense. They bring in Rich Hill. They reinvigorate his career. Not everything works out perfectly for for Tampa, but a lot of things they do uh, are are pretty well calculated and, and really strong moves there from Tampa Bay. So yeah, seventy five percent rostered for Rich Hill. If he's available, even in your shallower ten team, eight team leagues, make sure you get him on your team. Verging on a must start starting pitcher, Scott. I'll just ask a question. I don't really know that there's going to be much trade value for Rich Hill. It's 
the same thing that I brought up with Yuli Gurriel the other day, last week rather, it's, okay, sure, I guess if you can sell high, try, but I just, I can't see many people interested in trading for Rich Hill right now. The reason I will bring it up is because I think it's an interesting juxtaposition to someone like Corey Kluber, who is also up there in age, has had his injury history, and as we'll talk about, he left with shoulder discomfort on Tuesday. So, I mean, Rich Hill is over 40. Something like that can easily happen. So, what do you think about trying to shop him if you can? Well, I just, you know, I, I, I get all excited about what just happened, and you got to say, now let's get rid of him. No, I, I, I got to ask the question. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't think it's ever a bad idea to shop a player. Sure. That's it. I mean, so, no, it makes yeah. Sense. I mean, like, look, I, I don't know. What would it actually take for me to trade Rich Hill? Probably nothing that I expect to be offered. Fair enough. Um, yeah, because he was just picked up. Uh, you know, I might go to the person who has the very worst pitching staff in your league, or um, I don't know, has struggling to find a good starting pitcher and and maybe see what he can part with and and maybe it'll be more useful to you but yeah i i, I don't see getting like a a haul for hill yeah no that's I, what you're thinking i would agree with that it's just i thought i would bring it up because kind of a similar situation to how well Corey kluber was pitching uh rich hill is 61 percent rostered in yahoo league so very widely available there as well for me oh my goodness gracious josh bell the guy, is, he's kind of coming around. There's something happening right now with Josh Bell. Two more hits on Tuesday, another home run, and now in the month of May, he is batting 294 with four home runs and a 25% strikeout rate. Mind you, that comes with a ground ball rate that is still over 50%. You look at his StatCast page, he's making a lot of hard contact, but a lot of it is still going into the ground. So that is an issue for him, but I like that the strikeout rate is coming down, and also, mm-hmm. I like the fact that this home run came off of Amir Garrett. Not that... It's the hardest thing to hit a home run off of Amir Garrett this season, but Josh Bell typically struggles mightily against lefties. Even though he's a switch hitter, he's not great against left-handed pitching. He has been platooning with Ryan Zimmerman uh, in that way for most of the season. So I think he's going to still continue to sit out here and there, but uh, signs of life here from Josh Bell. And, and I did, every time he hits a home run, I, I'm watching, I check out the Nationals broadcast. They always play this song, and I actually love it, so... I think anytime Josh Bell does anything, we'll, we'll kind of bring this up right here. <laughs> That's a great song. It's hilarious. Uh, and by the famous uh, Anita Ward. So shout out there. Uh, Scott, anything that you would like to add on Josh Bell? Look up his roster rate. He might have been dropped in some shallower leagues, but looks like he's I coming around. I was surprised. I was surprised to see he's up at 89. I, I, okay. So people I kept can't. the faith. I, I'm I'm shocked. I thought I was the only one in the world who was keeping the faith on Josh. Well, maybe you too, but uh, who was keeping the faith on Josh Bell. And, and even I dropped him in a league or two where I just couldn't justify the bench spot on him anymore. Um, so, you know, maybe maybe nobody's paying. No, then people are paying attention. Obviously, Rich Hill's up to 75% roster ship. But yeah, I guess they kept the faith on Bell. And yeah, like you, I noticed that the strikeouts in the last two weeks have been much lower for pretty much the full extent of Josh Bell's career. He's been a low strikeout guy. So it's, it's been really weird. You know, I, I understand you look at the, that 2019 season and it, it looks like the outlier in terms of overall production, but 2020 and the start of 2021, that's the outlier in terms of strikeouts that, that usually hasn't been 
that hasn't historically been Josh Bell's problem. So hopefully he's getting back to uh, to being good again. For sure. Yeah, I have him in probably my most important league, my NFBC main event. So I do watch him closely and, and I'm rooting for him to come around because of that. And he has so far in May. So hopefully he can keep that um, keep that up throughout the summer months as well. I did want to give an honorable mention here, a shout out just here at the top for uh, to Steven Matz, who had his best start of the season at the Yankees. Six and two thirds, six hits, one run, zero walks, 10 strikeouts with 16 swinging strikes. On 112 pitches, they let him go in this one. He averaged a season-high 90.2 miles per hour on his slider, which typically averages around 88 miles per hour for the season. Did allow eight hard-hit balls, uh, but the I noticed the ERA is 4.28. That comes with a 3.44 xFIP. So, uh, Steven Matz is kind of an interesting pitcher. It, it seems like based on the stuff that he has, he should get more whiffs than he actually does. He really doesn't get that many swinging strikes or strikeouts for that matter. But uh, he was very good on Tuesday against the Yankees. So I don't know if there's anything you want to add there, Scott, but he was awesome. Two of his past three starts have been really good. Nine strikeouts in five innings, two turns ago, and then a five, five run, 10 hit outing in between. So you got to love that kind of consistency. He's actually rostered to more than 80% of leagues too. I looked into him to, to write about him in waiver wire tonight and I, I can't, he's too rostered. Yep. So, I mean, I'd rather have Rich Hill than Matt's by a pretty substantial margin. Agreed. So m- maybe their roster rate, rostership percentages need to, to flip flop there. But, but yeah, Matt's is, Matt's is, uh, I don't know. He's kind of interesting. Yeah. I think he's better this year than what we've seen the past couple of seasons, but probably still someone that you just want to play the matchups with, especially when he's on the road. I mean, he was pitching in Dunedin. Now he's going to go to Buffalo where that's expected to be a hitter's park as well. So play the matchups there with Steven Matz, but a great start from him. The Champions League final is set as Manchester City take on Chelsea in the biggest soccer match of the year. And the K Galazzo podcast has you covered. Luis Miguel Echegare welcomes soccer experts. I'm sorry if I ruined your name, man. I just butchered that. Soccer experts every single episode to give game predictions, betting tips, players to watch, post-match analysis, and much, much more. Find K Galazzo wherever you are listening to this show and on YouTube too. The UCL final is here and K Galazzo has you covered. All right. Lots of news and notes. A lot more injuries outside of Zach Plesak, of course, on Tuesday. Bryce Harper was finally placed on the IL with a left forearm contusion one day after Joe Girardi said he wasn't hurt. That I mean, it especially sucks that it's one day into the scoring period and that the Phillies played on Monday. So yeah. you couldn't even get uh, him out of your lineup. It's annoying. Joe Girardi said he was intentionally withholding that information for strategic purposes. I get it. Whatever. It's fine. It, it's just... <laughs> I'm, it sucks I'm for serious. fantasy. That's not a joke. He, no, no, no. I, I, I mean, I understand why managers would do that, and, and they lie all the time. I mean, we see that, you know, talk about it constantly, but it just sucks. Uh, finally, Adalberto Mondesi was in the lineup. He returned to the Royals. He was batting seventh. He finished two for four with two doubles and two strikeouts. Jacob Grom made his return to the mound against the Rockies. Five innings, three hits, one run, zero walks with nine strikeouts, 12 swinging strikes on just... 63 pitches, so they were easing him in here. Fastball velocity looked perfectly fine. He averaged 99.4 miles per hour on his fastball. Uh, We had a bunch of players leave with injury on Tuesday. Corey Kluber, tightness in his right shoulder. Marcelo Zuna injured his left hand on a slide at third base. Nico Horner uh, exited his game with a hamstring injury. 
there's not really anything we can add about the Kluber situation right now, Scott, because he's going for an MRI, but he suffered a shoulder injury last year. And I'm not just saying it's because it's the Yankees, whatever, but it was an awesome story. I mean, the guy's coming off a no-hitter and, and turning his career around after years of being hurt. So it just sucks to see Corey Kluber go down. And I, I'd imagine this is probably going to require at least an IL sin, but that's just my speculation. Probably. It might be a... It might not be a major injury, shoulder tightness. We'll see what the MRI turns up. It's just too early to say. But in any case, even in a best-case scenario, it seems like it would behoove the Yankees to skip him a turn. And I looked into Davey Garcia to see how he was doing at AAA. It's real bad. He's walking a lot of guys. Uh, so I don't think that they're, even if they need someone, they'll probably just go with like bullpen games for now until Davey Garcia gets back on track. So I don't think he's going to be an option for them, at least in the foreseeable future. Jazz Chisholm suffered a mild ankle sprain on Tuesday. Cody Bellinger has homered in two of his last three rehab games. Kyle Gibson was placed on the IL out of nowhere with a right groin strain, a reliever prospect, and a favorite of mine. Demarcus Evans was recalled for the Texas Rangers. He could be the closer of the future. It's probably not going to happen anytime <laughs> soon because Ian Kennedy has been amazing, but... Uh, maybe if they trade Ian Kennedy, I guess that would make sense somewhere around the trade deadline. Evans has phenomenal strikeout stuff, but he also walks everybody. So uh, just a name to remember there, Demarcus Evans. Noah Syndergaard was removed from Tuesday's rehab start with right elbow soreness. ruh That doesn't sound too good there for Syndergaard. Uh, Brian Anderson. Yeah. Yep. Uh, more on Syndergaard, though. Uh, he, he will have an MRI on that elbow, but the Mets don't seem overly concerned. I, that's that's what was put out there. It's like, how do you digest anything, right? That the Mets say it's. It seemed like Carrasco <laughs> was <laughs> right around the corner from returning in like early May. Uh, he's moved to the sixty day IL now. He's not back until July. It's just like, I don't know. I don't know what's going on there. I hope he's all right because I have him stashed in a few leagues. But uh, yeah, it's a little scary coming back from Tommy John surgery. Brian Anderson was placed on the IL with a left shoulder subluxation. John Birdie started at third base and is eight percent rostered for. Those of you who need speed in deeper category leagues, Harrison Bader was placed in the IO with a right rib hairline fracture. Kenta Maeda could miss more than the 10-day minimum on the IO with the Twins. Tyler O'Neill is expected to be activated sometime during the Cardinals' current road trip, which lasts until June 2nd. DJ LeMahieu was placed on the paternity, paternity list. Luke Voigt is expected to miss this weekend's series against the Tigers. He's got a baby on the way. Uh, Kyle Freeland was activated off the IL and started against the Mets. He went for, I think he had like two runs. He, he was fine. I don't think he's really a name to pay attention to right now. Uh, Manny Machado and Nelson Cruz both remained out for their respective teams. Wilson Contreras was out of the lineup, but x-rays on his wrist were negative. He was hit by a Craig Kimbrell fastball while catching on Sunday. Jorge Polanco and Max Kepler returned to the lineup for the Twins. Michael Brantley was out due to leg soreness. All right, Scott, let's fire it up. The Worryometer. Can we drop any of these players? Probably not the first one, but we're just <laughs> about two months in. And I know that normally around Memorial Day is, that's the time. That's the time when we can, we start making some decisions here, Scott. So let's start off with Anthony Rendon. Again, I don't think you're dropping Anthony Rendon. He, he, he went 0 for 3 again on Tuesday. He's betting 227. With a 662 OPS, the underlying numbers are very bad. He's striking out more, still not a lot. It's 19%. Uh, and he's hitting a lot of fly balls. So, uh, two IL stints so far this year, Scott. Your worryometer mm. for Anthony Rendon. Yeah, that's the thing. I think it's just, you know, kind of a, I guess, a failure to launch 
situation because of those two IL stints. I don't think he's really had a chance to get in a groove yet, but we obviously know how good he is. Very consistent from year to year. I uh, I just I was updating my rankings earlier earlier today, and I kept him ahead of. Um, oh, who was it? I kept him ahead of. I kept him ahead of. Was somebody really good? Nolan <laughs> Nolan Arenado was it? Uh, I don't remember. I'm sorry. I took this angle, but yeah, no, I I didn't lower him. Is the point? And um, yeah, don't drop him. You kept him ahead of it. Looks uh, like Maximilian Muncy. That's who I kept him him ahead of. Max Muncy. Um, yeah. All right. Yeah. So we're, look, we're not dropping Anthony Rendon. Uh, did you give a number? Worryometer one to ten. Two. Two on Anthony. All right. So uh, he potentially a buy low candidate right now. If uh, if you can make that happen, turn around one of these overperforming middle aged starting pitchers, and I don't know, maybe add someone else lower uh, for Anthony Rendon, if you could pull it off. How about Eugenio Suarez? He did hit his 10th home run on Tuesday, but he added three more strikeouts. He is betting at 150 with a 34% strikeout rate. The quality of contact way down for Suarez this year. Uh, 187 expected batting average. That is in the bottom 3% in all of baseball. Worryometer, Scott. Eugenio Suarez. I will go... Seven. Seven on the worryometer for Eugenio. I actually did move him down, finally, this week. He is now 17th at third base for me. He's behind Austin Riley. Uh, I moved Matt Chapman down, too, for what it's worth. But um, Oh, we'll get to Chapman. Don't you worry. Yeah. 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 I don't know. It's just like, how, how long can you bat 160, you know? I, I don't doubt the power's there, but I don't know. Did you share these stats already? He has two hits in his past seven games. <laughs> I did hits. not, but that's pretty bad. Um, both of them home runs. It wouldn't surprise me if he got hot and we were all picking him back up again, but I think in shallower leagues, like 250-ish players rostered, I think you probably let him go. Yeah, he's 94% rostered. I think in anything with a corner and a middle infielder, your standard roto lineups, five outfielders, utility bat, twelve teams mm-hmm. are deeper. I think you got to yeah. hold Suarez unless you there's a, someone great on your waiver wire. If Austin Riley is available, sure, I would make that swap. I would drop a Eugenio Suarez for him, but I, I don't know how realistic that is at this point. And it's like once you get past him, there's there's not a ton of waiver wire options that might be available for you. So it's are you really going to drop Eugenio Suarez for Evan Longoria or Jamer Candelario? Right. I don't know. Probably not. It just doesn't, no. doesn't really move the needle there for me. So uh, I'm worried about him, but again, it just it depends who you could drop him for. Brandon Lau does have nine home runs, but he's also batting 204. He's doing so with a 230 XBA, 472 X slug. So not as bad as some of the other players we've talked about here. Struggling mightily against left-handed pitching. A 375 OPS in 57 plate appearances for Brendan Lau. Where are you at? Worryometer on him, Scott. Well, uh, probably only like a probably only like a five, maybe, because I I considered him, you know, a step back from Suarez to begin with. So that factors into the the different grades there. But he's He's kind of started to pick it up here over the past week or so. 
three home runs, uh, two seventy six batting average over his past eight games, and we we know that he runs really hot and really cold. So I'm I'm expecting him to have this uh, this power surge here very soon. Uh, it might be difficult to time in terms of whether you have him in your lineup or not, but I, I do think it's coming. Mm-hmm. Would you drop him for someone like Gavin Lux or Ty France if they were available? No, I would not. Okay, so mostly we're we're holding Brendan Lau. Yeah. Okay. How about Zach Greinke, who was up against his former team, the Dodgers, on Tuesday? He allowed four runs over six innings, three walks, five strikeouts, only five swinging strikes on 88 pitches, and he's got a 3.970 ERA, 4.00 xFIP. So underlying numbers are kind of right in line there with Zach Greinke. And it's just, you know, in, in the pitching climate this season, that's just not a quality pitcher. Uh, you know, maybe in years past, it, it, it could have been passable, but... Every all these pitchers are, are performing way above uh, what Granky is doing right now, and he's got a nine point three percent swinging strike rate, his lowest since twenty twelve. Scott, your worryometer on Zach Granky? Uh, only like a three. I I do wonder if he's declined just enough that he's going to be merely above average instead of great. But th- there's been no thought to me dropping him or even sitting him. Maybe there's been some thought to sitting him at times, but not not that often. Um, I know offense has gone has been way up. In uh, it, it's it's basically it, it's mostly normalized. The home run rate itself hasn't normalized. The home run rate is similar to 2018, which is still high for like the context of our our whole lives, uh, but low for the juiced ball era. That that the home run rate has held steady from April to May. So that it looks like that's just the home run rate now what what it was in 2018 basically but um offense as a whole has looked much closer to normal in may uh specifically like the babbit remember the babbit was crazy low in april and we were kind of freaking out about that but it's gone up like 13 points in may which is a huge jump from one month to the next and it's basically what it normally is in may i actually uh Went back a few years and noticed Babbitt tends to go up every month until September when it drops back down, which clearly links it to temperature, right? And mm-hmm. May was, and this year's April this year was unseasonably cold. So maybe it makes sense that the Babbitt was outrageously low, but it hasn't been in May. And so offense as a whole has been up. Uh, I'm going to look into, I'm going to look into ERA because I think the ERA in May is around like 420, 421, something like that. So I'm going to look and see how that compares since you brought it up, since you brought it up, Frank. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, while offense has been up in May, it has not been for this player, Matt Chapman, who is batting 211 with a 676 OPS. And part of the reason why I had him in my bus column coming into the season, Scott, is because he had hip surgery in the off season. And I thought, he could get off to a slow start and it would affect his overall numbers. And thus far, that's been the case. Now, you know, maybe it's taking him a couple of months to get back into form coming off of that injury uh, where he just kind of takes off from June throughout the rest of the season. But uh, it hasn't been the case so far. So what do you think, Scott? Worryometer on Matt Chapman. Yeah, I will say, I'll say like a five for him too. I, I dragged him down my rankings along with Eugenio Suarez. 
but he doesn't seem at broken as intensely as Suarez does. I, I don't know. I have I have a little more hope for Chapman. I just don't feel like I feel like I'd be avoiding starting him now if I at all could. He's ninety five percent rostered. Similarly to Suarez, it's just not a position where there's a ton of talent available right now. But mm-hmm. are there any leagues where you should consider dropping Matt Chapman? It, it just depends what what's out there. Is he somebody who, if you're in a league shallow enough that Austin Riley's still available, can you probably get away with dropping Chapman? Yes, you probably can. But in most leagues, you probably can't. Mm-hmm. And for Chapman, he's got a 32% strikeout rate. Yeah, that's that's so high. Yeah, yeah. Last year it was mm-hmm. high, but but it, I think that was probably because he was playing through injury. Uh, it was thirty five percent last year, but then the well, year- I mean, it was a pretty severe su- surgery he had. Maybe he's not fully recovered. I thought it would impact his power more than anything else, and, and it has. His home run to fly ball ratio is ten percent, and for his career, it's sixteen percent. So, could yeah, kind of be more there. I, I, yeah, I might need to look at that again. Maybe yeah. I was right to move him down with Suarez. Maybe he has is as broken. As Suarez. Uh, yeah, and I think for good reason. Again, because of the injury and his quality of contact, at least according to fan graphs, which is what I have up here, 25% hard contact rate this season for Chapman, 41% for his career, so way down uh, compared to what we're used to seeing. Justin Turner. Yeah, so so let me give you the ERA number. Sure. Uh, so it, it's over 420 for May, uh, but that's season long the uh, you know the last time there was an ERA as low as 4.20 for the like the league wide ERA was that same year 2018 it was actually 4.15 for the season last year it was 4.45 in 2019 which was the height of the juiced ball era it was 4.51 so yeah i mean an ERA around 4 is not going to be very good if 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 may if may is the standard now, it, the ERA, is, the league-wide ERA is probably going to be higher in June. It's probably going to be higher in July and August. It's probably going to go up the same way Babbitt does from month to month. So, you know, in the end, the ERA, the league-wide ERA might be closer to like 425 or something. But it, it is going to be lower than the past two years anyway. And with the league average ERA going up, Zach Rankies might go with it. So I guess that's something... Yeah, I might... I'd bet against that. I think he gets better as opposed to worse from here, but it might. Let's hit a few more players. Justin Turner went two for five with his eighth home run, but coming into Tuesday, he was batting 179 with a 534 OPS in May. And we did tell people, you know, the first couple of weeks of the season, try and sell high on Justin Turner because he's a little bit older, obviously. So your worryometer on him, Scott. Uh, I worry. I don't know that I'm worried necessarily for. Yeah, I, I mean, clearly he was performing at an unsustainable pace early on, and I think he's, um, I think he's pretty fringy uh, compared to you know Suarez and Chapman. We assumed were going to be must-start players. Turner a little below that, but I have moved Suarez and Chapman behind Turner in my rest of season rankings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wouldn't go out and drop Turner. I, I think it's just kind of he's slowing down. He's kind of regressing closer to the mean, which is, mm-hmm. you know, perfectly fine. He was never going to continue to bat 350 or whatever it was for the entire season there. So just natural regression coming here for Justin Turner. How about Eddie Rosario? He went two for four on Tuesday, but is batting a paltry 226 with a 602 OPS. And his quality of contact is way down. So I, I don't know if this is something that's a little bit more related to 
the ball and, and the fact that, you know, a lot of home runs the past couple of years are, are taking a step back and kind of turning into fly ball outs. But I, I feel like that might happen for someone like Eddie Rosario, who doesn't typically hit the ball all that hard, Scott. So what's your worryometer on him? Yeah, I've been slow to move him down because we've seen, like we saw a lot of hitters dramatically improve their production in May versus April. Uh, I, I put a list of 42 on the site in an article I wrote. Um, it, it just went up on the site Tuesday. 42. Huge difference in their numbers from from April to May. And, you know, as I, as I mentioned already, league-wide BABIP went up a crazy amount from April to May. Uh, and it gets, it, it, it goes up pretty consistently every year. It goes up as the months get hotter. And the biggest jump is May to June. So I would want to hold out on most every struggling hitter uh, just with that in mind, uh, that the biggest jump in league-wide Babbitt is normally made to June. Now you're talking home run rate for Ed- Eddie Rosario, which is, of course, independent for Babbitt. But I think it's a fine theory you bring up. I'm just not ready. Then I, I just don't know that I'm ready to act on it yet, especially given that he is so good at making contact for somebody who's shown, you know, useful power in the past. Yep. The home run to fly ball ratio for Eddie Rosario this season is 6.3%. That has been over 15% each of the past two seasons. So, even if it doesn't get back to that number, I mean, this is really low compared to his car- career average of 13% home run to fly ball ratio for Eddie Rosario. So I do think better years are coming. And he's running a lot more yep, with Cleveland. Running more. He's got yep. five steals, and his career high is 11, which he did as a rookie back in 2015. So uh, he's on pace to shatter that. So we shall see. Uh, we're not dropping Eddie Rosario anywhere, right? No. No, I can't. I can't imagine doing that in outside of something really shallow. I think I still have him in my top 30 outfielders for the rest of the season. Mm-hmm. I could Certainly see top 40. Maybe you do it in like a 10-team points league with three outfielders, but even yeah, then, he, it's 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 a little shaky. I, I don't know that I would. Right. Uh, how about Jack Flaherty, who we really haven't talked much about recently, but uh, David Moore actually emailed in. Shout out to David Moore. He, he kind of put me on this, and he opened my eyes to the underlying numbers for Jack Flaherty, which are not very good. Uh, Flaherty was at the White Sox on Tuesday. He allowed seven runs. Only three of those were earned, so some questionable defense there behind him. He only lasted three and two-thirds, two walks, three strikeouts. He also had two wild pitches and two hit-by-pitches. And he's got a 2.84 ERA, fine, but that comes with a 4.09 XFIP, 4.12 expected ERA. Uh, His home run to fly ball ratio for Flaherty, 9%. That's 14% for his career, so I guess we kind of assume... That will regress closer to his career mark. His uh, first pitch strike percentage and swinging strike rate are both career lows as well. And he's had a favorable schedule. He's faced the Pirates twice, the Brewers, the Rockies on the road, and the Marlins. So, worryometer, Scott, on Jack Flaherty. Should we be trying to sell high on him, which we haven't really talked about? I think some of those those rates that you're talking about were influenced from 
early in the season, he was not at his usual velocity for his first several starts. And I was kind of concerned about that, but that's improved here recently. And, and it looks like the swinging strike rate over his past five starts is well, not counting tonight. It, but the, the previous five starts was pretty closer to, to what's normal for Jack Flaherty. And it was a really good stretch in those five starts. He had a 169 ERA. Um, the whip was below one for those five starts. Yeah, my worryometers, I'm pretty much one for Flaherty. Okay. So keeping the faith there with Jack Flaherty. Last one I'll ask you about. Alec Bohm is batting 212 with a 567 OPS. He's got a 28% strikeout rate and a 52% ground ball rate. Uh, we spoke about a few third basemen already. I think he's um, probably even a little bit further down the rankings than than Eugenio Suarez and Matt Chapman, but Alec Bohm has struggled mightily, Scott. Yes, he has. And if you'll remember back prior to the season, one of the, the great annoyances for me was that Alec Bohm was going about 50 spots earlier than Kebrian Hayes on average. When, you know, he wasn't up that much longer than Hayes in 2020, and his, product, his production was certainly worse. And in particular, the fact he had a, only four home runs in uh, 160 at bats, like that didn't seem like it was going to cut it from a corner infielder. And he had a 410 Babbitt fueling the high batting average he had. Well, he doesn't have a 410 Babbitt this year. And his strikeout rate is, you know, it was, it was 20% last year. It's closer to 30% this year. Like basically, the things he did do well as a rookie, he's not doing well anymore. And he hasn't improved in the areas that weren't so great, like the power hitting. So I think Bohm in our in our podcast league, a 12-team points league, I had I drafted him as my starting third third baseman. I've since dropped him. Now I did have uh I, I did have Josh Donaldson also on my roster who I could start at third base. So, you know, that factored into the decision, obviously. But bottom line is if Bohm is the best you're doing at third base, you need an upgrade somehow. Yeah. I, I again it's if you play in a deeper lineup with a corner infielder. I'm probably holding Bohm. Maybe you keep him on the bench for now and just kind of play the hot hand. Uh, the underlying numbers for him are still better. He's got a 265 expected batting average, 439 expected slug. He is hitting way too many ground balls, and uh, plate discipline was kind of one of Bohm's calling cards mm-hmm. in the minors, and it was last year. That hasn't been the case this year. Strikeouts are up, and he does not walk very much. It's right around a 5% walk rate. So I think better days are coming, but maybe not as great as many people thought coming into the season. Again, that is Alec Bohm. We are going to take a quick break, but when we return, we're going to take a look at some Tuesday mashers, some home runs from Tuesday. Uh, I want to talk about Aaron Savale's trade value. We'll do that next on Fantasy Baseball Today. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. Nothing beats a weekend away with the family in the great outdoors, whether it's camping, hiking, river rafting, or anything in between. With third-row seating, nobody is left out. The entire family can experience the thrill together. And nobody wants a dead phone. Available dual wireless charging pads make it so nobody gets stuck and we can check our fantasy baseball teams together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Live Nation presents... 
Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more for way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long for just $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. Some home runs that were hit on Tuesday. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. I feel like this is just a a daily custom now. We'll talk about however many home runs he has the next day. Uh, Vlad Jr., Mm -hmm. two hits including his 16th home run of the season. His teammate, Lourdes Gurriel, is one of those players that has heated up in the month of May. Two hits, including his fourth home run. He has multiple hits in seven of his last nine games. Shohei Otani. He's been a little quiet recently. Hit his 15th home run on Tuesday with a 117 mile per hour exit velocity. It was just a screaming line drive right down the line. And it was pretty impressive. Uh, Jared Walsh had two more hits. His 11th home run, it came off of a left-handed pitcher. Adolis Garcia, 15th home run of the season, now has 40 RBI I will put you on the spot here, Scott, while I try and fill the space here and pull up your outfield rankings. But have you moved Garcia up those rankings? Yeah, I moved him up quite a bit. I mentioned on the podcast two days ago that I'm starting to come around to him. The strikeouts have been going down and he just keeps, he just seems to keep getting better and better. Uh, Yeah, I, I don't think he's going to. What, what kind of pace is he on? He's on pace for close to 50 homers, right? I don't <laughs> think he's going to be able to... I don't think he's going to be able to keep up a, a 50 homer, 18 steal pace or whatever he's on. He's bound to regress from there. But I do think the odds are better than not that he will remain a must-start player rest of season. Mm-hmm. Scott moved Adolis Garcia up to outfielder 31, and Chris moved Garcia all the way up to outfield 24. Ahead of I Jesse, ahead I of Jesse, I had him higher than that, honestly. Yeah. Um, I, well, this is in head to head. I think in Roto you have him at twenty nine, Scott. So okay. a, a little bit higher there. Uh, but yeah. Chris has Adolis Garcia ahead of Jesse Winker. I'm, I'm going to have to have a talk with him about that tomorrow because I don't know. I don't know hmm. about that. Uh, Jock Peterson had a double dong on Tuesday. He is now batting three sixty nine in seventeen games since returning from the IL. He is thirty five percent rostered. And it looks like he has seven games on the schedule for next week. So uh, that, you know, write him down, Scott. Put him, write him on a notepad. He might be a sleeper hitter for next week. Yeah, Peterson. it might depend how many lefties yeah. are they're facing in those seven games. He doesn't always sit against lefties, but he does a lot. And He's been leading you know. off for the Cubs, and he's, he's hot. He's making a good amount mm-hmm. of contact this year, and we kind of... 375, he's batting in May. Now, these two home runs were just his second and third home runs of the month. It had been a lot of singles but you know sometimes that's how that that's kind of how it started for austin riley you you know you get the you get some of those batted balls to land and then and then the power comes so we certainly know peterson has a lot of that how much higher should this roster rate be scott it's 35 percent right now i could see it doubling okay get it up there to 70 yeah I, i don't see yeah, I don't see a big difference between like Peterson and and Kyle Schwarber. I guess Schwarber is going to play a little more regularly. Mm-hmm. Fair yeah. enough. Yeah, Jock Peterson, he's hot. Go get him. 
Uh, so let's talk about Aaron's volley and his trade value. I'm also going to bring up Joe Musgrove. We'll talk about them two together as potential trade candidates. But uh, for Savale, another great start at the Tigers. Eight innings, one run, six strikeouts, uh, 10 swinging strikes on 104 pitches. The control has gotten back on track for Savale, which is huge for him. Just three walks over his last three starts. He has now gone six plus innings in eight of 10 starts. So I think he's going to give you volume. In a quality start league, he does have more value. In a points league, he does have more value as well. The bad news in the start against the Tigers, mind you, 11 hard hit balls. He's got a 3.04 ERA and a 4.09 XFIP. He's a top 20 starting pitcher right now, Scott, in both formats uh, so far with Aaron Savale. I, I still think that we should be trying to sell high on him. But again, the keyword is high. I'm just trying to figure out what can we get back in return for Savali, would you try to trade him for those hitters I mentioned earlier, or or would you shoot higher than that? Oh, shoot higher than that. Okay. No, I I think you should be marketing Savale like a borderline ace because that's what his numbers so far this year look like. Yeah, you you need to aim higher than that. Like you could, you need to aim for like Kyle Tucker, the the, <laughs> the buy low candidate we always refer to, even though his main numbers are great. They his his season long numbers, he's still batting something like two twenty. They haven't been the main numbers haven't been good enough to normalize the season long numbers. So um I think he remains a buy low and yes, somebody you could target with Savale. But that that's kind of the range of hitter, you know, assuming we're doing a pitcher for hitter thing that I'd aim for with Savale. Cause you know, Savale's if 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 you end up stuck with him, I don't think it's such a bad thing. I do think he's going to get worse from here. He has a 409 xFIP and and also a 396 FIP. It's not like the the home run rate is especially low. Um, those two numbers being so close together. Now they are influenced probably by him having an uncharacteristically high number of walks there early in the season. I, I think the ERA is going to be more more like mid threes than right round three like it is right now. Mm-hmm. And him being not such a great strikeout pitcher. Yeah, him being not such a great strikeout pitcher, uh, that's that's obviously... Uh, then that makes it even worse when he has an ERA up there. But it's still good enough that you're going to start him more often than not. Do you think you can get somebody like DJ LeMahieu or, or Rendon for Savale, or, or would you have to add to him to pull that off? I think you could try it. You know, it really just depends. Part of the problem with naming a very specific trade target is really the starting point when you're when you're looking to trade somebody is who in your league has their need met by acquiring this guy because you need to make the trade. Like that that's the starting point when I go to make a trade. Who could use this player the most? And then I look on their roster to see to see who would be a suitable return. So you know, if if you're bringing Savale to the guy who has LeMahieu and his pitching staff is stacked, obviously that's not going anywhere, or at least it most likely isn't. Yep. So that you got to keep that in mind. But yeah, if, you know, you try with just Savale, and if you had have to add more to it for a hitter that high end, uh, I I think it's worth adding a little more. Scott, how about Joe Musgrove? 
I don't like the season long numbers are great. 2.26 ERA. All the underlying numbers look great. He's got a 2.48 XFIP. Uh, the expected ERA a little bit higher, 3.43 there for Musgrove. So he's allowed some harder contact than, than you would like to see. But he has now gone five innings or less in five of his last six starts. Mind you, last time out before Tuesday, he was amazing. I think it was like 11 strikeouts over seven innings pitched. But uh, the, the the volume has been kind of weird for Joe Musgrove in terms of how deep he's going into his starts. Yeah, because so. that was what he's, something he was always good at. Yeah. Uh, that did not seem like the concern for Joe Musgrove coming into this season. It was just how effective would he be. It's been frustrating. That's the word I'd use to describe it. Today, he he brought a no-hitter into the... Or I should say Tuesday. He brought a no-hitter into the fifth inning. And... It, but then loaded the bases, and I think that's why he got pulled. Like, you look at the line, and like, why would they take him out when he didn't even go five? You know, he's only allowed a few base runners. was striking out a bunch of guys. Um, and it's just because he happened to, it happened to all come at once. And so, you know, they didn't, they didn't want to, they didn't want the game to fall apart right there. So, I, I don't know. I, I don't think it's going to be a season-long issue for him. I think his track record suggests it won't be. I think it's just kind of a weird stretch he's going through right now. And obviously, he he made me feel a lot better after that last start as dominant as it was, that he's still, you know, the, the signs of a breakthrough that Musgrove was showing earlier are still intact. Just needs to, just needs to start going beyond five innings. Yep, and, and I was watching that start because it was of interest to me, it was Joe Musgrove against Corbin Burns. So obviously it's a really fun pitching matchup there. And he walked Corbin Burns, the opposing pitcher, on four pitches to load the bases. And I think he had 84 pitches at that point. Colton Wong was coming up with the bases loaded. So they opted to go to the lefty reliever and Tim Hill, lefty on lefty matchup there against Colton Wong. So that's why he was pulled a little bit earlier than <clears throat> you're used to seeing uh, because obviously it was, it was a matchup thing there for him, but just walking the opposing pitcher on, on four pitches, he just, he didn't have it that inning. So uh, I think that's why they pulled him a little bit early. The buy low window is now closed, Scott on Charlie Morton. I hope you bought while you could because he went into Boston, which not the easiest place to pitch against that lineup. And he allowed just one unearned run with nine strikeouts over seven innings pitch, 16 swinging strikes on 103 pitches, that's two straight quality starts with 17 strikeouts to just two walks uh, during that span. So not really and much I else to add uh, here, but Morton looks like he's back. Just five hits and in 13 innings over those two starts too. Mm-hmm. So yeah, he looks he looks like he's dominating and we all expected him to bounce back. So yay for us. <laughs> the uh, shout out to the Padres. They are running wild this season. They had six more steals as a team on Tuesday. They are first in baseball by far. They have 56 steals as a team. That's 21 more than the Kansas City Royals. Now, that number's probably going to get closer now that Adalberto Mondesi yeah. is back. <laughs> uh, but one of those steals came from Jerks and Profar, and I just wanted to show him some love, Scott, because he has 11 hits with three steals over his last eight games since returning from the COVID IL, and the Padres are dealing with injuries. Trent Grisham on the IL, Manny Machado's banged up. Uh, Jerks and Profar is only 37% rostered. He has first, second, and outfield eligibility. So I think if you need steals, Profar is someone that you could look at. Yeah, maybe. He has one home run, though, and is slugging 328. So it's... He's, he's hit for some power in the past. He 
had a decent home run total for the short season last year, but he doesn't impact the vault, the ball very hard. And like, I'm so much offense is generated with power that I, I'm just hesitant to start anybody at this point, even like my 15 team leagues that I don't think is going to provide me power. It's not like Profar is this proven 40 steel guy, so you never know when he's going to stop running, too. Like, you may have already, kind of like with Ramon Loriano, right? Like, he had all those steals in April and then just stopped running in May. Something that happens. So, yeah, I can't I can't really get excited about Profar. I hear you on the steel thing. It's like, it could just start and stop at any point, but this team philosophy with the Padres, they just let their guys run, so... Uh, I, I would trust in them a little bit more than other teams. And again, this is like a deeper format thing. He's 37% rostered, so he's widely available. Again, the name there, Jerks and Profar, if you are in need of some steals. Not much power there. Any interest in these three starting pitchers, Scott, who all pitched on Tuesday? Vince Velasquez, six shutout against the Marlins. He's 16% rostered. Tarek Skubal had nine strikeouts, two runs allowed, over five innings against Cleveland. And Brad Keller, who was at the Rays, he allowed one run with seven strikeouts over seven innings pitched. All three of these pitchers are 32% rostered or less. So the one I'm least interested in is Vince Velasquez, even though he's he's on a nice run here. Three combined earned runs and four May starts for Vince Velasquez. I just, I don't really see what's changed for him other than not allowing runs, you know? So I'm I'm skeptical of it. Really skeptical of that one. I, the one I'm most interested in is Tarek, is Tarek Skubal, who I think is really beginning to put it together. I know Chris is, has noticed it as well. So nine strikeouts in five innings. In this start for Skubal, and I believe he had nine strikeouts in five innings in his last start too. Yeah. Uh, so he's been using his secondary pitches a lot more. In, in these last two starts, the sliders really played up. But he's also shown more ability with the changeup. Remember, the knock on Scooble coming into the season was uh, the fastball really seemed to be the only pitch that was doing him any good. But that seems to be changing. And if we can get him to go longer than five innings, uh, we could really be on to something. So Scooble's pretty interesting. Keller, yeah, it looks like Keller's gotten back on track, but I don't think Brad Keller was ever going to be any more or less than Brad Keller. And Don't do it. <laughs> That's yeah, my I advice. Mean, you, don't you, do it. There, what that means is he's probably just a stream, a streamer type. Somebody who stands out mostly for his workload. So that's that's where he is, and I think that's where he's always been. There was a lot more action that happened on Tuesday. Uh, what else did I want to highlight from this? Lucas Giolito, this is now, I believe it's two or three, two starts in a row where he's he's looked pretty damn good, got back on track, six innings, two runs, five strikeouts, zero walks. A huge key for Giolito is limiting the walks. Uh, he had 14 swinging strikes on 92 pitches. Eight of those came on the slider. So super encouraging there for him. And then Logan Gilbert, I guess, had his best start of the season. It still wasn't great, but uh, four innings, two runs, zero walks, four strikeouts. The biggest issue for him, Scott, when I watch is he has a hard time commanding his breaking pitches. He had just one called strike on 36 breaking pitches. So his slider and curveball combined. Uh, that, that's been the biggest thing for me is he just can't really locate those right now. Oh my gosh. I just saw Rafael Montero get <laughs> saved for the Mariners. Now I know, 
I know Kendall Graveman's on the COVID IL. I don't think it's been confirmed whether he actually is sick himself because uh, there's other reasons you could go on that IL. But Keenan Middleton got the save yesterday. And I think Montero worked like the sixth or something. And that was like the third appearance in a row where he's worked prior to the eighth, much less the ninth. So I thought they were done with this Rafael Montero thing. Actually, in a 2014, my 2014 Dynasty League, I dropped Montero and picked up Keenan Middleton. Here they are going right back to Montero. I don't know if Middleton needed the day off. I mean, Montero allowed two hits, so it wasn't pretty. It's been annoying. That's been an annoying closer scenario, the Mariners. Oh, yes. Very annoying, which is a great segue into our call to the pen. Some bullpen updates. Uh, Keenan Middleton had only pitched one time in the past three days, it looks like, coming into. So I I guess he could have been available. He should have been available. Another very annoying bullpen. The Cincinnati Reds look like we finally had a normal save chance. Uh, TJ Antone recorded eight outs across the sixth through eighth inning. He relieved uh, Tyler Malley, who started the game. Amir Garrett started the ninth to face Juan Soto, Josh Bell, and Kyle Schwarber, who they pinch hit for. Uh, He recorded two outs. He allowed a solo home run to Josh Bell. And then Lucas Sims got the final (laughs) out against Starling Castro for his second save. I, I, I think it's just a... Mix and match, play the matchups. If they, if Antone, if Malley gave them more length, Antone might have just pitched the final three innings for the save, honestly. So, yeah, he might have. We haven't known who the Reds' closer is for like a month and a half now, since Garrett lost the job in early April. And I was wondering if, if David Bell would go back to Garrett because in May, prior to this appearance, where, you know, the only thing Garrett allowed was a solo home run. It's worth pointing out. But, uh, in six May appearances, he had allowed no runs, 10 strikeouts in five and two-thirds innings, two hits, two walks. It looked like Amir Garrett had gotten back on track. So I, w- I was thinking they might go back to him. Uh, I-, I suspect he would have finished the inning if he didn't allow that home run, right? But he did allow it. So Sims came in. Yeah, it's this is the Reds' bullpen... I think only the Diamondbacks bullpen right now, I feel like I know less about what the team is doing than the Reds bullpen. Uh, For Cleveland, Aaron Savale allowed the first two runners to reach in the ninth inning. And then James Karinshak came in. He allowed an RBI single, but picked up his sixth save of the season. For the Royals, Josh Stalmont was unavailable. Kyle Zimmer got his second save. And it seems like... Was Stalmont unavailable? I was looking for that. I believe he had pitched a a bunch recently. He had that he had gotten two days off in a row. Actually, yeah, you're right. So, so he he pitched on the 22nd. He pitched on the 19th, the 18th, the 15th, yeah. and the 14th. So uh, he has used a lot, been used a lot over the past 10 days ish. But I mean, by definition, yeah, you're right. Um, Stallmont should have been available. Yeah, that was weird. now Kyle Zimmer had been on the IL for like a month with a shoulder strain. This was his third appearance since returning. His numbers are pretty good. Uh, I think they had a left-hander coming up in the top of the ninth, so maybe it made sense to stick with with um, uh, Brents. Jake Brents, who's a left-hander, he was pitching the eighth, and then bring in, and then if they're not going to go the full inning, maybe they don't want to warm up Stalmont. I, I don't know. I mean, I still think Stalmont's the front runner there. I'm not really picking up not really thinking about picking up Kyle Zimmer except in like an AL only league. But it's reason to wonder 
if changes are afoot in Kansas City. Yeah, Josh Stalmon has done nothing to lose the job, technically. It's it was no, uh, it's weird. He's situation. been kind of shaky. He hasn't been blowing saves, but he's yeah. been kind of shaky. For the Twins, another one. Yeah, Hansel Robles is the guy, right? Nope. He was using the 7 to face 2, 3, and 4 in the lineup. Alex Colome came in in the 8th, and Taylor Rogers was used in the ninth. He picked up his third save of the season. Four. He actually came in for one out in the 8th, Rogers, and then finished it out, but... But yeah, I, I had a feeling this might happen because Hansel Robles, he actually did blow a safe Sunday and was shaky the previous outing too and just didn't lock down the role, I think, the way the Twins were hoping for. So I, I'm thinking Taylor Rogers is the front runner there again. For the Cubs, Craig Kimbrell got his 10th save. For the Phillies, Hector Neris got his 8th. For the Mets, Edwin Diaz got his 8th. And for the Braves, Will Smith got his 8th. A lot of 8th saves on Tuesday. To stream or not to stream for Wednesday, we will kick it off with Johnny Cueto at the Diamondbacks, Merrill Kelly versus the Giants, Luis Garcia versus the Dodgers, Griffin Canning versus the Rangers, James Caprillion versus the Mariners, and John Gant at the White Sox. All right, so I got to remember what I said yesterday. I think Caprillion was the easy one, then Griffin Canning, and then Luis Garcia if you have to. On Thursday, we have Antonio Senzatella at the Mets, Spencer Howard at the Marlins, Tyler Anderson versus the Cubs, Brady Singer at the Rays, Shane McClanahan versus the Royals, and Chris Flexen versus the Rangers. McClanahan against the Royals seems fine. He has gone five-plus in back-to-back outings, I think. Uh, Not really wild about any of the others, but... So you're going to force me to use somebody? Maybe his opponent there, uh, Brady Singer, against the Rays, maybe. Yeah, it's tough yeah. because the Rays are so hot right now. and You're so hot right now. So Unlike hot. Hansel. <laughs> you're so hot right now. Yeah. Um, oh, Spencer Howard against the Marlins. Did you mention him? That's kind of interesting, but you just don't know if he's going to be built up enough to go the minimum for a win. Yeah, it's pretty yucky, Frank. Pretty yucky slate there on Thursday if you're looking to stream a pitcher. Mm -hmm. I, yeah, I like McClanahan, probably Brady Singer, and, oh man, famous last words, but Antonio Senzatella on the road. I thought you were going to go there. (laughs) It's that Mets AAA lineup. The Mets are so bad right now, man. It's, oh gosh. So I I guess you go with Antonio Sensatella. Uh, We don't have enough time to get to your fantasy justice question. So I apologize. Uh, And thank you for all the emails that you've been sending in. I see them. I I answer them a lot of, uh, a lot of them personally. So I know we haven't answered a lot of your questions recently here on the podcast, but uh, we will get to your fantasy justice questions at some point throughout the rest of the week. I've got some Apple podcast review questions that we will get to continue to email us. I will answer those personally as well. For Scott and Frank, thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Baseball today. We'll be back again tomorrow. Bye-bye. The chilling new original docuseries on Paramount+. Plus. Why did he kill his family? The answer lies across the ocean in a woman named Sylvie. She's the can model. Where desire leads to deception. I ended up spending twelve and fifteen thousand dollars a day. It was addictive. I can't get you out. And obsession leads to murder. Who did this to your family? 
You can't really maintain a fantasy forever. Control Alt Desire, now streaming on Paramount+.